Well, yeah, I'll, uh, we'll begin, I'll pray, and we will uh, continue our, our uh, study uh, of 2 Timothy. Uh, Father God, we just come before you, Lord, and uh, we do thank you for what you provide for us. And mostly we thank you for your character, because out of your character does come your provision. Um, uh, as we move through uh, our Sunday school and as we move through corporate worship, Lord, we ask that those who, would, who are here and who would can come through uh, those doors, that uh, you would steady, steady our hearts for what you're going to bring to us. In your son's name we pray, amen. To be here. Um, and it's a good morning. You know, when I was working on the floor uh, nursing, um, I would come in and, um, and I wasn't the nicest person, so I don't want to make myself seem like I was a goody guy. But I would always say good morning. And then some of the ladies would be like, what's good about it? Now I'm like Jesus, but I'm far removed. <clears throat> Anyhow, so we're continuing on our study and um, Second Timothy. So what we'll do is, I'm going to do the same format. I'll, I'll read and um, and what I want to do is try to, do you guys have any questions? Um, if you've got the handout, you'll see different, the different, uh, you know, sections and stuff like that. So in between different sections of the verses, if you guys got questions, um, you know, raise your hand. If you've got comments, uh, I welcome them uh, most assuredly. Uh, let's get into it. So last week, uh, we had the opportunity to look at uh, two things. The uh, first was a glimpse of Timothy. Uh, his life and the instruction he received from his mentor, friend, and spiritual uh, father, Paul. Uh, the second was why Paul wrote the epistle uh, to Timothy in the first place. Um, Timothy, uh, the son of Eunice and grandson of Lois, was a young man of sincere faith, a faith that can only be given from God, a faith that would carry Timothy through times of doubt and sickness, a faith that would keep Timothy by Paul's side through many missionary journeys. The same faith which was in Christ Jesus would enable him to pastor the church in Ephesus. One could conclude that Timothy, although young, was committed to Christ. Paul's first letter to Timothy would guide and instruct him on the responsibilities of leadership and how to discharge them. And living close to Christ was essential in carrying out said responsibilities. Now, even though both letters to Timothy gleaned with the red thread of false teaching, Paul's second letter had a slight distinction. Paul encouraged Timothy to be bold and not to shrink away from the calling that so richly encompassed his life and ministry. Although this second letter is chalked with timeless truths and sound doctrine, Paul writes with sincere love, just like Timothy's faith. This morning, I encourage us, as we take a look at chapter 2 of Paul's letter, there are three points for consideration. The first is the changing of the guard here, we will see God sovereignly pass the mantle from one faithful leader to another. Our second point will be, will be 
to take a gander at false teaching and the damage it leaves in its wake. And thirdly, we will see how one can be useful to the master. So goes the reading of God's word. Verses 1 through 13. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preaching, as, as preaching the gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is we're trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, we also will deny us. He will deny us. If we are faithless, he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So we go to our first point here. The changing of the guard. So Paul gives Timothy a command. Here we see Paul giving Timothy a command to be strong. Paul reminds Timothy the strength he speaks of is one not of his own, and second comes from Christ. If we look closely, we can see that the care in, um, in Paul is there. And that's one of the things that stood out to me. Um, if you know the relationship that Paul had with Timothy. So he's saying these things to Timothy out of love, not just a simple doctrinal truth, not just gather up strength for the sake of gathering up strength, but he's pointing to something outside of himself, and he's doing it out of love. And for those of us who are parents and for those of us who you know, have nieces and nephews, we instruct them out of love. Now, maybe not. They may not see it at the time, but when it's coming out of our, out of our hearts, whatever it's danger or whatever it may be, that's where our instruction comes from. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy, to be strong. B, it says, to those you can trust. The principle here is the exercising of wisdom, humility, and discernment. Why? Because to entrust someone uh, with anything, they must be trustworthy, reliable, and in their right mind. That's kind of a key thing. Um, if we look at the landscape, uh, I was talking to uh, my wife yesterday. Uh, we had watched, um, I think it was Paul, the movie you told me to watch, Craig. And, um, so we did uh, yesterday, and we just got to chit-chat. And, and we were talking about the different struggles and different time frames and so on and so forth. 
And one of the things that really hit me was, you know, we look at our contemporaries and the, the war, the war has always been a spiritual war. <clears throat> but even so, I would argue even more so now because even back then, whether you believed in God or Christ or not, you just had basic principles. For example, you knew the difference between a man and a woman. And I've watched people in videos and had conversations where people just couldn't get that basic truth right. Just that, that, simple, that simple truth. So the point that, that's being made here is that if you're going to entrust people with the truth, they need some, some, some basics. They need to be reliable. They need to be in their right line. They need to have a foundation set that they understand basic things of life. And this is what Paul is telling uh, Timothy about these men, to trust men who have the foundations uh, set. And they've proven themselves. These are just not men who said, hey, I believe in Jesus, and here we go. These are men who've been proven, men who've had to watch and be around, be into their families for a couple of years. These are the men that you want to entrust something this precious with, not flippantly. Then we have C, solidarity. When men are on the battlefield together, they, li they live, bleed, and die together. A common goal is fashioned and harnessed. When Christ is the prize, plain and simple, we suffer well. And for you ladies too, not just the guys. But I just pictured in my mind men be on the battlefield. Maybe because I'm a guy, I don't know. But when Paul is telling Timothy, we're going to share in suffering. That means something. This is why we have men's ministry and we have women's ministry. It's the time for men to come together and women to come together and get real. I encourage that. We look at D, a strong spiritual life, verses 4 through 6. Soldiers seek to obey. Athletes seek to follow the rules. Farmers put in the hard work. Why? Because all three, what do they have in common? They seek a prize. They seek a prize. What Paul is communicating here is that there is a cost to follow Christ. There is a cost. And I think that's largely lost, at least in the Western churches. There's a cost to follow Christ. You just can't live how you want. It doesn't work that way. And you've got to play by the rules. You just can't be changing things up. You, want, you have to have a desire to obey. And many would say, well, I'm not here. And all of us are in a different place in our obedience and our following what the Bible tells us. Our hard work, it's all in a different place. But I would argue this, and I would encourage this simultaneously. Do you have a desire? Don't look at James and say, well, look what he does. Or look at Nick. Or look at the rest of the elders and look what they do. Or look at your wife or whatever. Don't compare yourself. But I would encourage that you would look in your own heart based on what God's word says. You know what? I'm not there. Just be honest. And just say, Lord, help me to want to obey. Help me to follow your commandments. Help me to put in the work. There's a responsibility. Be clear. I'm not talking about to be saved. But because we are saved, we want to do what our Father tells us to do. And put a, well, my mom would tell me to do things, and she would say, and, and put a smile on your face. I understand now. I didn't then. So we're in E. It says here, think and consider, verse 7. Here we see Paul telling Timothy not only to see God's face for understanding, but that there is a cost that comes with walking with the king. Again, 
He's piggybacking off of the strong spiritual life. I can't express this enough. In the last seven years in my marriage, God has, through his word, has pointed out to me that there is a cost. And what I'm continuing to learn as I move through my marriage, it's hard. Not because um, getting along with my wife is, is hard. It's hard because of my own sin. Period. And dying to James, dying to self, it's just hard. It's hard. I thought to myself a couple of days ago, if Kelly was to pass away, I'm still in the struggle. So for us who are married, and those who maybe had somebody who's passed away who was married, if you noticed, it's still a struggle. Because you can't get away from yourself. You can't. You just can't. And trying to doesn't work. So you have to deal with it. Then we're on F. Christ-centered thinking, verses 8 through 13. Is there a, do you guys hear the bing? Is it me? Do I need to bring it down some? All right. I thought it was, okay, real quick. Is it, maybe it's age, I don't know. Don't raise hands, don't look at nobody, pointing fingers. Do you guys get ringing in your ears at this age? Is it just me? No? Okay. All right. Stay focused on me. Okay, good. See, I got some, I got some people in here. We'll talk later. Um, Paul reminds Timothy of six things. Um, Christ has risen. Christ was the one to come. Paul suffers because of this truth that the elect will obtain the salvation and, uh, and eternal glory that has been provided by Christ. If we abide in Christ, we will live and reign and if we don't, we perish. And lastly, this is the part I like, uh, Christ is faithful, even when we're not. God won't deny himself. He can't deny himself. So I'm going to go back from one to six uh, really quickly. It says, Christ has risen. Again, one of the things that is important to notice, a distinction in this list of six things, is that Paul is pointing Timothy to something outside of himself, to Christ. He's reminding him Christ has risen. He has risen. And number two, piggybacks that because he says, talks about um, Christ being David's offspring. That lends itself to this idea that Christ was the one to come. So there's a bit of an assurity that's taking place here. Not just look to Christ, but just as you look to Christ, remember he was the one to come. Don't forget that. He's saying to Paul, and I want to encourage that to us. When things are getting hard, we look to Christ. He was the one to come. And Paul suffers because of this truth. We're going to suffer because of this truth in many different ways, whether it's at our, at our uh, homes or whatnot. I think I've told this story a couple times. Um, within my marriage, um, and those who, who, who have known me personally know I'm always talking about God and, and so on and so forth, but Kelly and I organically just got into our heads that Every time I go to a client, every time I get hired, there's a strong likelihood that I will come home with no job. And there's really only really one time that a man can come home and tell their wife they don't have a job, and that's usually death. So 
but we agree that if somebody asks me the truth about Jesus, you got to give them the truth. And there was days and times where I would come home um, for this truth and said, hey, I, I said this to so-and-so, and she would just look at me like, well, we'll see if you come back tomorrow. Now, God has been faithful and, you know, been working solidly uh, doing that. But the point I'm making here is that Paul was willing to suffer for that truth. And I encourage us, wherever station that God has us in, get it in your heads, get it in your minds. If it's not there, ask for help. Talk to somebody who you can trust, the older person. How do we get there? What do we need to do? But as believers, I don't know. I look at the landscape. we got to get in our minds that, that living for the Lord is a privilege. It's just it's a privilege. It's an honor, but it's just hard work. And we're willing to do everything else, die for all kind of other truths, but that. And then four, it says here, the elect will obtain the salvation and eternal glory that has been provided by Christ. Again, he's pointing to Christ. Christ is doing this. It's his, it's his show, his universe, his real estate, his oxygen. It all belongs to him. It's, it's his uh, uh, faith. All of it belongs to him. He's given it to us because he loves us, not because we did something. That in and of itself should bring us to the heart of our knees. And if we abide in Christ, we will live and reign with him. If we don't, we deny him. He's going to deny us, and we're going to go to the friar. That's it. End of that. Again, I repeat the last one. Lastly, Christ is faithful, and, and that should bring us joy because it doesn't rely on us. When you stand next to Christ, you realize you're, you're a failure. That's probably the only time that I can celebrate that, and that's Okay. Sam was praying uh, just a few minutes ago, and, and he just, I just told him it was just dynamic. The word poured out of him, period. And it silenced me. And if you know me, it's kind of hard to do. <clears throat> so any questions before we move on to our, our second point? Anything you guys want to add? Or... Yeah, just real quick, just, uh, you brought up a really good point, too. I think it, we all should remember, too. It, it's normal and natural for whether you're uh, an athlete or a farmer, that when you do something, you're, you are expecting something to come out of that. And that's what we have. We've got a sure reward now that we look forward to because of Christ. It's, it's heaven. And when, when we keep that in focus that we have this prize. We've been, as we walk with Christ, we have this prize that we can fully expect with 100% certainty. Unlike a farmer who might have uh, crops fail because of bad weather or something. No, this, this, this is actually going to be a harvest um, that is eternal, imperishable, all the things that were just covered in that, in that passage. And, and that's what we have to look forward to. So when we're, when we're struggling, that's the prize that we need to be focused on. Okay. Uh, and we move forward, too. I just want to piggyback on when we started, uh, when uh, Craig graciously walked us through this, um, you know, Wayne said something. Um, was Now, this, this letter is written to, you know, Timothy, but it, 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 to le- leadership. And even though it's specifically, you know, for, you know, pastors and, and deacons and such, 
Um, don't, don't let it get lost on you just because maybe you're not a leader per se, uh, whatever, in the church. You're leading somewhere. Man, you're leading your homes. So, um, you know, wives, if you have daughters, nieces, you're leading as a woman. You're leading. You're leading. You're, you're a place of employment. You're leading. So, even though it's specific to this, the principle is, as Christians as a whole, let us, let us uh, lead. Lead well. So we're going to go on to our second point, verses 14 through 19. It says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approval, approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handing the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will uh, spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They upset the faith of some, but of God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Again, I like this strong theme, and, and one of the things that I enjoyed about doing this overview was that you always, it's always coming back to holy living. Always coming back to holy living. Always coming back to holy living. So I found that personally to be um, an encouragement. I hope you do too. So we go into our second point, which is the false teaching. Uh, we got A through D. So A here says, it's a little reminder. Timothy is encouraged to remind the faithful men and the body of Ephesus as a whole that Christ is not only the point, but a, but a cost and a way of living uh, comes with salvation. Again, I don't know if you guys are seeing these, these themes here. These themes here. He's reminding them these things. He says, carrying uh, on aimlessly with words void of wisdom and edification discourages those who hear it. And then I, and I, and I, in my mind's eye, I pictured people who were new in their faith. And you got a couple of guys running roughshod, speaking about things or doing things that could easily discourage those who were new or who didn't understand things as clear as others. And that was really a conviction to me of, again, how I talk, how I, I move through life, holy living. We want to be aware. You know, we're going to be around other brothers and sisters um, who are going to be more mature, and you're going to be around some who are not so much. And we have to find that balance and where we're at. And it only comes with wisdom. It only comes with wisdom and experience. B, it says walk, walk with care. I mean, I just, I don't know if you guys see it, but like I just see this, you, very encouraging. It says, in order to rightly handle God's word, Timothy must present his daily life as one who holds fast to sound doctrine and holy living. Oh, and part of holy living, too, really quick, I'm just going to throw this out there, um, with the sound doctrine, is joy. Let's not just have a bunch of sound doctrine and be mean. I'm talking to myself. Because if you know me, you know how my mind works. It's like, James, be nice. Play nice in the sandbox. I have to let people play with my toys. 
I'm not very good at that. So let's, again, we, if, we, if we're going to look at ourselves, Northfields, we got sound doctrine. Sound doctrine, lots of sound doctrine. Walk around sound doctrine all day. But listen, smile. If you don't see me smile, James, you're not smiling. All right? Okay? So let's have joy. It's part of holy living. Both. It's a, some of I've talked to. My, my, my point, a bed and breakfast, not either or, right? Let's have sound doctrine with joy in our heart. Because the world, why would they want to come here if we're all walking around like a bunch of scrunchy faces with our sound doctrine? No? Okay. All right. There's my soapbox. Let's move on. <clears throat> um, yeah, this discourages people. So we go on to B. It says walk. Um, did we do this? Yeah. Walk with care. Uh, verses 15. In order to rightly handling God's word. C. Okay, the effects of false teaching. Well, here we are. The effects of false teaching. Uh, verses 16 to 18. And those who do it. So is Hymenius and Philetus. We know a lot of Hymenius and Philetus. They usually have large churches. So in your mind, picture that. People going around preaching a different gospel. They abandon the faith by basically preaching another gospel and upset most likely those who are young in the faith. False teaching leads to ungodliness and it spreads quickly. Gangrene, I believe, was the, was the illustration. A disease. Bad news travel very, very, very quickly. We've all experienced. I think if you're over five, you understand this. And then we go on to Deus's an omniscient God, verses 19. After he says all this, he says, here we are reminded that it's overall God is sovereign, and he knows all things, and he knows who belongs to him. So even though the sheep and their goats are uh, mingled in, again, this is where we get to look at God's sovereignty, look at his, his providence, and have faith that God knows because I don't know about you, sometimes I look out into the landscape of the culture and I'm thinking, like, I don't, what's the point? I'm going around saying all this stuff and talking to people. And sometimes we don't get to see uh, the fruit of our labor. Sometimes we will. Most of the time we won't. But we have to trust. Even us who have family members, and I've talked to many of you, and we all wrestle with this. We've either raised them up and they've departed. We don't know if it's permanently or for a short period of time, but we have to trust. And here's the kicker. Whatever the decision is at the end of the day, God would be right in it. God would be right. He would be right in it. Any questions? Before I move on to our last point, any comments? All right, we'll move on to our third point. Verses 20 through 26. It says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy. You guys seeing that theme there, the holiness? I don't know anyone loving it here. Useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 
have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently endure evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. For the master's use, A and B, desiring holiness. Here we see Paul pointing to the importance of our character. It, it, I, I challenged, it was a challenge because I wanted to get into the meat of just 20 and 26. We really get into the depth, but we're talking about holiness and obedience. Um, so but the overarching uh, principle here is the importance of our character, how we live in our lives. The world will tell you that it is your gifts and talents that make you a useful man or woman. We see that in Western churches, talents. We see that in the political game. We lift up gifts and talents. Those things are nice. They are. But I think we all can look at uh, the political world. We can all look at uh, just the entertainment world as a whole. I guess politics would be considered entertainment. Um, and how many men and women who have, we've seen with great talent, and we've lifted them up because we're worshipers. We've all participated. I have. I'm guilty. That's why I don't watch football anymore. And, but then they're just doing horrible in their personal life. Now, I remember a time in the, in the 90s where we would have like an athlete would do something stupid and they would come in and apologize and they would step down willfully. I don't know, I don't watch much TV, so I don't know if we're still doing that or are they just still arguing and knuckling down. Um, but our gifts and talents are irrevocable. Once we have them, we have them. And how we use them, there's a kicker. So this is what Paul is pointing, telling Timothy and pointing to. Again, who we are behind the closed doors, and, and this is always, you know, uh, just be a little, just slightly transparent here. It's always, it's big to me. It's big to me. When Hunter and uh, Kelly leave the house, I'm always like, okay, I need to be who I am in front of them and who I am right now in front of you. And uh, sometimes I fail, some, sometimes I don't. And sometimes, like, I'm, everybody knows I'm up at 4.30 in the morning, and uh, it's just a lot of sin going on in my own head. I'm just sitting up at 4.30 in the morning trying to pray. So it's not just our talents or gifts, but it's, it's who we are. And we, who we are is found in our identity is wrapped in Christ. Again, Paul points out to Timothy, it's important for us to take note of these things and take them seriously, holy living. So we move on to be 22 to 26 verses. Um, applicable holiness. Since godly character is of great importance, we should pursue faith, love, righteousness, peace, and seek these things. This is the part I love. Uh, with others, with a pure heart. It's not an isolate. We don't walk in, um, you know, this isolated Christianum stuff. I know we see it in the movies. Um, it, and I thought it when I looked at this, it made me think about uh, Clint Eastwood. I'm probably going too far back here, but, but it was a good, bad, the ugly. You know, he always played these, you know, the spaghetti westerns? Yeah. 
right? He's always running off into the thing. I thought it was so cool. And now I'm thinking, like, that's dumb. He left a good woman. What's all that about? <clears throat> it says here, let us avoid immature quarrels, uh, patiently enduring what is evil, correcting opponents with gentleness. Why? So that God may grant them repentance. And it's how we share the gospel. It's how we live our lives. So even though God is the one who opens up the heart, he has given us a privilege to participate. So it's our tone, how we say it, when we say it, where we say it. And what are they catching us doing? Is our children, whether they're grown or not, if they've moved out, can they still look back and say, oh, I know that mom's probably praying here at 6 o'clock. If that's the case, then you're on the right track. So again, through chapter 2, you know, I just saw just a, this, this theme of holiness. And then how he has sparsed it all out to, to do it together. Christ is the prize. And I hope you guys uh, have seen this too. So is there any questions or anything that you guys would like to bring up? Because I would love to hear it. Yeah, I just think that what we see in verse 24 is largely lost. I mean, as we look at our culture around us, for sure, um, the world doesn't interact with one another that way, that way, right? Like, if you differ with someone, then you're just going to yell and scream, and who can ever yell the loudest, scream the loudest, wins the argument, generally. But um, I just, again, thinking of the difference that a person who is gripped by uh, the person of Christ and his work in their life and is actually intentionally pursuing holiness, how then they become a non-quarrelsome person. And, you, and what's unfortunate is that you see within a lot of churches and with social media, you know, even Christians take to the, the highways and byways of social media and they present themselves as being quarrelsome people with others. And it's really... Um, it's really discouraging, I think, when you see brothers and sisters responding like that. How can you come across as someone who is, is trying to correct the opponent with gentleness but not coming across as someone who's a quarrelsome person? And I think a lot of that is you think of other passages of Scripture of going to a person one-on-one -on -one in private to talk about something. Don't take it to the lanes of social media stuff like that. And so I think it's good for us just to think about how am I responding? Am I a quarrelsome person? Am I a gentle person? Am I a kind person? Really, what's my goal? Is my goal that God might perhaps grant them repentance and come to the knowledge of him? Or I just want to win an argument in the, uh, you know, in the, in the public forum. Um, so I think, you know, Christians, we need to really think about these things because we are still called to not be like the world regardless of how the world acts in its different spheres. Well, I have a question. Maybe someone could share. Um, desiring holiness is it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. So can anyone share with, 
like for example, for me, I, it's not, it, doesn't, it comes and it goes, you know, so on and so forth. But one of the ways that I try to encourage myself in holiness and wanting to live for the Lord is I have a, 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 a set of men who I make it a point in the last five, six, seven years who I, I just faithfully get around. And we talk theology. We nerd out on theology. And that always refreshes me. It always spurs me on uh, to want to fight the good fight. And, and again, the idea here is not to begrudgingly just want it to be holy. The idea here is that you, you desire holiness. You want it. That's the point I'm trying to make, and I think we all see. We want it, not be, oh, i got to be nice to my wife. And I respect my husband, so. No, like, I, like, I want to love my wife. I want to be nice to my wife. So getting around the sad group of guys for the last few years, it spurs me on. And I get to ask questions. And those who have been married longer than me, I can say, well, off the record, what do you do? And they'll tell me. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I go try a few things. Sometimes they fail. That's not the point. The point is, is that I'm giving it a lot of boy. So can anyone share what do you may do just practically so we can encourage one another this morning of, you know, how do we, in our hearts, is it just prayer? What, what, what do you guys got? I think it's important to constantly be examining one's faith. Um, one, to see if you be in it. Um, and then two, just the prayer of my heart is, Lord, I see something that's lacking. I pray for the desire to do that thing. I see it in Psalm. I see it in Scripture. <clears throat> and I don't measure up. It's not there. And the desire is not there. I don't feel, I pray for the very desire to do your will. Raw, real, and humble there is where you hit the feet of Christ and just be your Lord. Doing what I see scripture is calling me to do. And so in obedience, um, just crying out for that very desire. Yeah, just piggybacking on that, obviously, that, that praying to desire God more and, and that comes from wanting to see him high and lifted up, right? We want, God is jealous for his own glory. Are we jealous for his glory as well? And if that should be motivating why we would want to obey because it's the overflow of our gratitude and, uh, and our, our awe of him that we want to do these things. And we have to go to him first <laughs> to have those new affections that we've been learning about. We need, we need help <laughs> changing our affections. Yeah, kind of to piggyback on that. I think in your time that you're alone with the Lord and you're considering these things and you're thinking about them and concentrating on them, when you speak to the Lord about them, these things that you desire holiness, I desire righteousness, I desire the things that are so difficult for me in my flesh to do, that when we ask him, that we would expect that he would do them in us as well, not just go, well, I hope he does it. 
Um, this, these are the things that he desires for us as well. So when you address it with him, and it, which involves confession at times and, and repentance, that when you follow it up with, Lord, forgive me, but help me to not transgress that area again, that he will do it. And then he gets the praise and glory for it, not just your willpower to try to be better, you know. And I think we need to just trust him that he is going to do that which he commands us in us. So that is a comforting thing, too, because it is hard. It's hard. And as we all know, we can confess that. Um, but he's way bigger than that. And he can do it easily. So. I see you smiling, Brett. You got something? <clears throat> I got to say, I, I just love verse 25, is it? Yeah. Um, Those that oppose themselves, we, we don't even know when we oppose ourselves. Um, here. Hold on. Uh, in meekness, instructing, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God, peradventure, that means lest if so be, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And uh, so often we talk with folks that are really opposing themselves in doctrine, and therefore they oppose themselves with respect to God. That's what uh, we labor to, uh, being in the midst, that's what we labor to accomplish, is that understanding that they actually oppose themselves. So, love that verse. close in prayer if anybody got anything else all right <clears throat> thank you for you guys' comments I, I appreciate it um, and I like to hear the comments and, and the questions because again um, it, it, we want to encourage one another it encourages me because um, sometimes you know walking with the Lord <clears throat> can be lonely it can be uh, especially if you're Whatever your affliction may or may not be, trying to get rid of it. <clears throat> Even when you're married, it's just you can get isolated real quick in that affliction. So these are times that we want to be encouraged by one another. I will pray and we'll, we'll close and steady ourselves for corporate worship. Father God, we just come before you again, Lord. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for who you are. Your character is beyond ours. And for that, we thank you. We thank you for choosing us. You didn't have to. Help us to, help us to harness that. Help us to rest in that, that you chose us. Not because we were good, not because we did anything, but it pleased you. That's the kind of God that we serve. A God that is beyond our understanding, with outstanding character, as flawless just impeccably consistent with that, with that alone. Let us fall to the knees of our hearts and worship day in and day out. 
As we move forward into corporate worship, Father God, we just ask that there will be more who will come. And there are some who have probably sat in these seats for a number of years and still are wavering secretly. Lord, we would ask that you would gently expose them in their own hearts, Lord, and so they would come to know your truth, the only truth, the way. And it's something we pray. Amen.